0: So, hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Bundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep. so uh, on Facebook, simply type in Folk on
1: Falcons and some of the more eagle or falcon-eyed fans among you will notice that we've had a picture refresh. There's no longer, unfortunately, our beaming, smiling, handsome faces. We now have a new... Dead exciting looking, dead modern logo. So, um, yeah, so if you keep a lookout for that, that's on our Facebook page. And it's also on our Twitter
0: page as well, which is simply at Falcon Falcons. So um, last time we spoke to you, it was after the Beirut's game. We'd actually won for once. And we thought, oh, we could be turning a corner here. But then after last night's performance, I think um, we've woken up and it was all a dream. <laughs> Too long was obviously cancelled with the, the covid and it was straight off the back of Northampton, although we actually got some points on the board this time, but it was, felt very similar. Yeah, I mean, we'll get the one positive out of the way in which we got some more
1: points. Um, but yeah, performance level was as bad as I thought. Again, the same mistakes where the mistakes gifted easy points, far too leaky in defence, the same tactics of aimlessly kicking away, but instead of giving it to George Furbank to pass and Get an easy try, and of course, we give it to probably the worst player in the world to kick it to in Reece Zammett, to give him. You know, you give him half a pitch worth of open space. I mean, what, what do you expect? And it's yeah, it was it was exactly the same. And you know, I, I know it's only the sort of the morning after, but I, I do genuinely believe this is. I, mean, I know there's no relegation this season, but this is this could be the lowest of the low. The, the the level of performance is so bad at the moment, and I, I just can't see. How it's going to improve anytime. So I just can't see where we're going to get a win anytime soon. I mean, you never know in sport, but yeah, things are looking bleak. And it's not, it's not just the individual performance of the mat, of, of the match of itself. It's it's the same week in, week out. And there's something really, really wrong, both sort of on and off the pitch. And they've got to
0: be addressed sooner or later, otherwise it's it's looking really, really grim. Yeah, um, we said it in the past, but it was another 75 minutes yesterday where we only scored one try with the next. So we started off with a kick at goal and got it, and then Radwan scored his try with a good bit of play. And then the next 75 minutes we scored one try, which was a loopy pass over the top, and then we scored in basically the last play of the game or penultimate play of the game. So there was that 75 minutes again where nothing really happened apart from shipping 30-odd points. And um you look at the game yesterday and you think, what was the actual strategy? Um there's almost a formula of we get into their twenty-two, lose the ball, they kick it to halfway, get a mall, we give away a penalty, they kick it into our twenty-two, get a mall, we give away a penalty, they score a try, rinse and repeat. And it all came from us kicking the ball to them. And it doesn't take a genius to work out that or oh, we scored our first try from a sp- Booned box kick, which Robinson managed to get hold of and put Radran away. But apart from that, there wasn't a single kick in the match where it looked like was there any worthwhile result of it. All we did was gave him the ball. And then the referee yesterday, don't to be too critical, but he was one that liked his whistle. And whenever they had the ball, they got an advantage. So why do you give them the ball? And we can whinge about the fact that their first try and Lucock's try that were um try that wasn't, that was disallowed, it was very similar to their try and the video, I thought one was okay and the other wasn't. I'm not going to dwell on that too long because it's not got an excuse for performance. But you just think, what on earth is going on? Are the coaches not telling them to stop kicking the ball away? Have the coaches told them to kick the ball away, in which case you've got to scratch your head in that respect? Or is it the players on the pitch just bereft of ideas, take far too long to get the ball, look mm-hmm. up, rub it in the headlights, what else can we do? Oh, well, hoof it. And when you've got Reece on the pitch and you kick it to him once and he does a half break that they then score from... Who in their right mind is going to kick it directly to him five minutes later? But it's exactly what we did. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't want to draw on the ref Yeah, There was maybe a couple of questionable decisions like the ones you
1: mentioned. But, you know, it was a, a not a great receiving from kickoff and not a terrible pass to, to Chick in which he knocked on, which then led to their perhaps disputed try, But obviously my point is it's come from an enforced, completely enforced area. You know, that's not the referee's fault that we're in that position. And yeah, as you say, it's the tactics and the, the side to side going nowhere with ball in hand round the halfway line to eventually kick it away and then they score or generate penalties or whatever. And essentially means that we can't get their 22, we can't use... Probably, what is our only real consistent strength, which is our forwards, because we would never get anywhere near their line. You know, we're entirely reliant on, for example, Radwan, um, maybe Carrera, Stevenson to a lesser extent to kind of just pull a rabbit out of a hat. Because at the start of the season, when we were doing a bit better, you know, Radwan was scoring tries, Stevenson was scoring tries, etc. But there, it was the forwards who looked really, really good and. You know, we we fought at the time, probably still now, they're as good as anyone in the league, and they look really dangerous when they got into oppositions twenty two. They look really solid; they were reliable. You you always kind of optimistic when we're down there, but we're not getting down there anymore. We're not using what is probably potentially our most reliably potent weapon. And again, about the tactics, I don't like to say this because, you know, it, I, I do at times have a lot of praise to Richards and the coaching team, but. I feel a bit sort of deja vu with the relegation season where it wasn't so much the individual results which they were perhaps a little bit lucky that season in some some games but it was the performances and not just even the performances it was the fact it was the same it was the same failures the same Tactics week in week out. There was no variation. There was no improvement on the style of play or performance every single week. And at the time, I thought maybe we should have a change here. We've got to have something different in. you know, in the coaching setup. You know, otherwise, we are going to get relegated. Of course, we got relegated. I wasn't convinced when we got promoted because I thought well, this—you know—it's probably going to be a foregone conclusion. You know, at the start of last season, however, you know, I happily stuffed my face of humble pie because we were really good at the start of last season. It looked like it worked. And, you know, I I was sitting, I held my hands up and thought, right, you know, the coaching team have got it right. You know, they've had the relegation, they've got it right here. They've done some really good shrewd signings, we are playing really well to our strengths, great. You know, hold my hands up. Even when we weren't great January, February last season, again, I never even thought to question the coaching staff particularly because it was just a phase. And then, of course, we actually had a really strong end to the season. So, again, no real massive complaints in that regard. But now... As I say, I'm starting to get deja vu to the relegation season where, you know, you watch every game week in, week out. And it's the same tactics, the same failures every single week. And we we can criticise players, we can criticise a team performance. But if if you see the same thing every single week, especially with the tactics, you've got to look at the coaching staff. And I don't like to say it, I, I genuinely don't. And I know there's... Those reasons why it's difficult for the club, we've all lodged I'm not naive in that regard. You know, I know it's difficult for us to attract certain players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But maybe after ten years or so of the richest coaching setup, maybe we should start be looking at a refresh, one way or another. Otherwise, I just can't see how we're going to get out of this cycle of just underperforming and eventually, you know, just fighting around every season with no real optimism or excitement or change in player at all.
0: I'm not quite at that stage yet where I'm thinking there needs to be a full refresh. But I do think that certainly when you look at the players on the pitch and you look at what goes on week in, week out, certain people have got to be held accountable for things. Um, without saying that it's the only issue. Um, on the pitch yesterday, um, Mike Brown looked absolutely furious a few times when the cameras aimed in on him. He didn't look like a man who was enjoying the twilight of his career. He looked like somebody that was thinking, what on earth have I done signing sign for this club? At the end of the game, when the cameras all zoom in on the players and they're running around the pitch, um, you'd hear Radwan and Mike Brown having a chat and um, you couldn't hear a lot of it, but it certainly didn't sound like one where they were over the moon with what they'd just been part of. The coach and staff, you've got to think, okay, line outs have probably tailed off a little bit recently. Um, there was one yesterday where McGuigan, there was a big pause, he then threw it to the front and people have worked us out. They intercepted it at the front of the line out because it was so obvious what was going to happen. We don't have a back setup where teams are worrying and the back row can... uh, Basically, the back row know that it's not going to go to the backs. They can defend them all more effectively. Um, Our defence out wide is still shambolic. So what is the defence coach doing? Or have we just accepted that if we get beaten out wide, we get beaten out wide. Attack-wise... What are we actually doing there? Um, the only part where we're actually decent is the front eight. And then Dino's comments after the match, instead of going straight for the drinks cabinet after full-time yesterday, I left BT Sport on and listened to a bit of what was being said. And um, he basically said, oh, disruption, disruption with the weather. Well, sorry, I don't buy that one. you have had plenty of practice at it now, and also it was the same for them. Um, COVID, yeah, we've had issues where we haven't trained together for various periods of time. But once again, it's not really an excuse. The old professional players... And then, well, the one that really annoyed me was he basically said, "We always do poorly in January and February." And it's like, well, come on, let's sort it out then. It's not like it's oh well, it's just bad for us and it's, it's every no. That's not that's not an excuse. And also, it's only the end of January now, so if we've got February to look forward to, where we're going to get thrashed every week, probably given the fixtures we've got coming up with extra Saracens and all the rest of them. Um, and you you just think heaven's sake, something's got to change here. And I'd throw a quarter into the wind at this stage and say, what we're currently doing clearly isn't working. Um, I don't think it's the fault of the pack in particular. So keep the front eight as it is. But I'd start off with Nordi Colometti at scrum half and Will Haydenwood at fly half for the rest of the season. And then think, okay, can they cut the mustard at the highest level or can't they? Give them a few games to get stuck into it. If they can, fantastic. Then why do we fall short? If they can't, right, we will need to completely overhaul the integral parts of the team. And my gut tells me that if those who get game time playing in, week in, week out with each other, they'll actually be okay. And then we're never going to sign a world-class inside centre just because of the nature of the club. And probably couldn't afford it. But if Dean Richards goes to Fiji on his summer holidays, he needs to walk along the beach and find the biggest person that he can see on the beach. They'll be able to catch and pass a rugby ball given they're from the Pacific Islands, sign them up for relatively affordable salaries, stick them in at 12, and we'll suddenly have a team that you can start playing rugby around. And there'll be space on the wings for our actual good players. And hopefully, it means that next season, when relegation is back on the cards, albeit in a strange sort of end of the season finale respect, that we'll actually have something we can work with. But we're not going to get relegated this year. And I just fear that, yeah, we might finish second bottom or third bottom or potentially in bottom this year. But unless we actually overhaul things, then next year we're just asking for it and staring down the barrel before the season's even started.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of led into something I was going to talk about in terms of attack and defence. Definitely this point the season league table doesn't lie. You can see, you know, our attack stats are absolutely terrible. So again, you know, what our attack coach is doing. One of, again, one of our positives at start of the season, as well as having a decent pack who looked dangerous, was we had a rock solid defence. Yes, we weren't scoring many points, but we weren't conceding many either. That's gone completely out the window. So, what a defence is, co- what defence coach is doing, as you say, still out wide. It's just so easy for for opposition. Uh, I think there is a lot of traction in what you say in playing Hayden Wood and Nordic Clemente because you know you may as well. If there's no relegation, you may as well give them a try. It can't be any worse. My only worry is that the way the team's playing at the moment, does not matter what personnel you have in there? If the tactics are still going to be, you know, kick it away all the time or whatever, then, you know, well, how are they going to improve that, I suppose? You know, you can kind of fling them really into sort of the deep end there and maybe they'll, maybe they'll swim and maybe it will be better and it does give them experience, which they can obviously carry on into next season. But... Uh, the flip side of that is, as I say, the tactics are still the same. Is it going to make much difference or is that not really the point? Is it just to kind of give them the the match experience? But, you know, I just feel like any sort of vestiges of optimism was sort of sucked out of the club. And I think it goes with the fact, you, because I, I'll use an example. So the Harlequins game, first game of the season, was arguably our best performance in the season. And any other day we could have won that and actually we're quite unlucky to, to lose that. And you don't mind that, you know, yes, we lost, but you don't mind sort of performance like that. But if you just see sort of the rubbish which is happening week in, week out, it just sucks the life out of out of the club. And it's yeah. not just the Rich Richards comments, which I didn't see because obviously I was treasured home from Kingston Park, but you saw BT. But I'll go back to the podcast a couple weeks ago where um, Seymour Curdy was on. And, you know, I know I got a little bit of criticism from some quarters, which which is fine, but perhaps my comments on that. But I still stand by my comment in terms of how it ended when he was asked the question, you know, what do you see for the how do you see the Falcons? You know any sort of optimism, etc. And this was—it was just nothing. You know, you were you were desperate to hear some sort of shreds of optimism from them to say, "Oh yes, you know, we really want to challenge for things, or we really want to progress as a club, or etc." There et was, was just nothing, and it just seems to me that the club is satisfied with this sort of cycle of mediocrity. Which you know, as, a, as like I mentioned before, I'm not naive enough to think that that isn't sort of out of their control because it isn't in some ways we know that, but you could at least show a bit of optimism, you know, and, and have a bit of ambition. There's nothing wrong with having a bit of ambition. Whether you could match that is a different question. But you can at least show a bit, and not only sort of on the pitch, but off the pitch. And it's these sort of comments from Richards, as you say, you know, oh, well, it's only it's January and February, that's what happens, which I agree is absolutely ridiculous. And Seymour Cody's not exactly particularly optimistic comments about, well, well, we just kind of want to develop the game in the region. and we we'll have been trying that for decades. You know, that, that doesn't exactly instil much sort of excitement in, in listeners who are desperate for some sort of shred of optimism at the moment. Um, and I think that the, the club sort of needs to have a bit of a look at itself both on and off the pitch to try and use this last few months of a non-relegation season to really sort of turn things around, whether that's in personnel or just sort of off. Field matters, as I say, and just trying to be a bit more
0: optimistic and try and generate a bit more excitement about potentially what what the club can do. Talking about the club being a bit different to other ones, we're not we're not going to be the sort of club where we can go and splash lots of money on a, a world superstar. So we've got a couple of choices: we either get people towards the end of their careers, which we've done quite effectively in the past, or we bring players through, or bring in unheard of ones. And if you look at the academy. We're very good at producing good players. We tend to be able to hold on to them for a reasonable amount of time, but that's very much a roll the dice sort of thing where you get a lot of players coming through in the same position or not, not very many in other positions just through what genes are in the northeast gene pool at a particular year. So back row wise, we've done very well, hookers done very well. Front row actually we're doing reasonably well with our development now. but then half backs, we've had people who let them go or people have moved on. Outside backs, we've done very well, and I fear for the future if people are going to stay around. But we've got to get decent players from somewhere. And the the club's financial state means we can't just buy them. And on the club's financial state, the attendance last night was supposedly 4,500. Got serious doubts about that. I presume that's tickets sold for the game, not actual attendance. Yes, the game was delayed by four hours, which means not only that Sandy didn't turn up, didn't drink their pints reduced by 50 pence before kickoff, didn't um, make make a whole fist of it. But the club will then have to um, forego that revenue for the subsequent game when they've given them the choice of tickets for the next game. But you can't have a good financial structure on four four and 4,500 people, even if it's actually only about 3,000 in the ground. There's real... Question marks, I think, over the marketing, the Saturday afternoon kickoffs, the match day experience, all these things need to have a real look at it because I worry that we're just kind of going to wither and go pop at some point.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've hit the nail on that, head in terms of the elephant in the room, the difficult question about long-term sustainability for the club. And, you know, you can't have that if you're getting attendances of three and a bit thousand for a league game. I mean, and I agree it's a combination of various factors. Of course, you've got the team not not playing well, which is obviously going to affect attendances, of course. Um, I personally think the Saturday Afternoon kickoff. I know it was moved to the evening, but it was going to be a Saturday afternoon kickoff. Saturday afternoon kickoff for Newcastle. I don't think is a good time for us. Um, I know that's outside the club's control because obviously it's done by the league and through TV. But I genuinely believe that Newcastle's fan base has a higher proportion of amateur players than perhaps other teams. That I think most of the interest in the region, or a lot of the interest in the region, comes from comes from amateur players. And if you play on a Saturday afternoon, you're not going to get those supporters because You've got, you have a lot of those sports we'll just play for the local amateur club, which is fair enough. I mean, I tried my best to balance it out. Basically, I go to the home, Falcons home game, but for an away game, I, I go and play for Northern. Um, I'm, I guess I'm, may, I'm more unusual in that regard. I think most people just play for the local club and may occasionally go to a Falcons game, or just, just not at all, because you get out of the habit and you think they're not playing, well, you just don't go, you save the money. So... I think Saturday afternoon is a terrible time for us. And, of course, you know, it, it also clashes with the football as well. A lot of people like to watch both. They like to go to both and, and they can't, you know, with a Saturday kickoff. And that is obviously going to affect Newcastle. than well, it is going to affect Gloucester, Northampton, Bath, for example, where rugby is, is you know, is the life and soul of the town. So that affects us. But as I say, that's only to do with the Falcons. But... The, there's a there's a real kind of i just find negative match day experience as well you know i've said it all the time yes maybe i'm a bit of a misery guts etc cetera, etc cetera, but things such as the music you know you can sort of hear the audible groans and sighs and look on people's faces where you know you're 28 down for example like last night we're playing rubbish and you have sweet caroline come on and it, you just sort of think well you know what are they thinking here you know well, how, how is this supposed to make, make me feel? Am I suddenly going to be jumping down my seat thinking, oh, I love this, yes, I'm going to sing Sweet Caroline. You know, you're just thinking, oh, for God's sake, you know, is this really kind of appropriate, for want of a better word? Um, and it's just kind of sums up the sort of miserable matchday experience at the moment. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I think there could be fairly easy fixes there, some of which are, are in the club's control, uh, maybe about marketing to the amateur clubs, for example. But I, I accept a lot of it is outside the club's control. But something's got to be done because, yeah, as I say, it's the elephant in the room in terms of long-term sustainability and what's going to happen in say five or ten years' time if
0: things continue as they are. Yeah, I remember um, when I was a boy, started off going with my grandfather and they tended to be um, on Sunday afternoons at that point in time because of the clash of football. Then there was a spell when they were on Friday nights. Once again, that was quite good as a teenager. And there were other times where there'd be Sunday afternoon and I'd play kids rugby on a Sunday morning, get whisked off after my pie and chips in the clubhouse, barely have time to touch the ground at home, straight out into my falcon's top back out of the house in the Kingston Park. And I remember you'd see people that you have been playing alongside and against at the game have done similar things. And that's the future of the club. It's those, I'm going to say, boys or children who play on a Sunday morning and feel part of something, build it into their routine. And it doesn't happen on a Saturday afternoon when we have those kickoff times because of what we said about amateur commitments. In this. But if you, well are the, I don't know, it's probably 50, 40, 50 rugby clubs in the region. If you said to each of those clubs, we're playing on Sunday afternoons. If you play in the morning, then you get a half price ticket or adults get tickets for 20 quid, kids get in for a fiver. You suddenly fill up the ground and then the problem's kind of sorted itself out to a large extent. The problem you then have is season ticket holders don't like it because they pay 35 quid a game whatever for their season tickets and it works out cheaper not to bother. But ultimately, what do you want? You want bums on seats and the next generation of fans coming through, which I think at the minute there's that, that break between the next generation current generation in fact that a lot of the current uh, fans are also players it all seems broken but I'm not a marketing expert I've not got the the data to hand but it's me, something's wrong there
1: yeah I mean that's exactly it I mean for me growing up and for yourself growing up obviously teammates um Sunday was like a rugby that was rugby day wasn't it you know you'd have su- Sunday each week during the season would be your rugby day and it was kind of built in and ingrained in you growing up and that kind of not only does it Give you a uh, you know a love for the club. It gives you a love for the sport as well. And and as you say, you know you you'd see loads of people you played with or played against would would be there, you know, standing next to you. And you just, you know um, in the afternoon when you just as I say played with them or against them in the morning, and it's it's building up that kind of culture. And yeah, it's as you say, it's broken at the moment because you, you're not getting that sort of experience growing up of playing and then going to Wash Falcons. you know you, you would you would you would play probably now and then just think, well, that's it, you know, it's another day, whatever. Um, I'm not particularly interested where if you kind of have it the way we had it, it's all kind of it's the experience growing up, isn't it? It kind of gets you early doors into supporting the club, and then that leads to other things, obviously, as you grow up. But bums on seats or or feet on terraces is better. No, no matter what the cost or how cheap you have the tickets, or whatever your office you have is better than three and a half hours in the ground. And there must be some way that we can kind of repair that connection with the amateur clubs, which has been broken in the past season or two because of COVID, but also because of, of the the days that the matches are playing. And if they don't repair that, as I say, because I genuinely believe that in Newcastle more than perhaps other clubs, there is that sort of link between the amateur clubs and going to watch the Falcons. Um, if you don't, if we don't repair that link, then, it's going to be, I don't know, it's just, it's going to be trouble going forward. It really isn't. I think the club should be looking at ways
0: to kind of repair that. Yeah, I remember that when I was, when I was a boy, sound like an old man here, um, there was the days of the flock where you'd get your goodie bag at the start of the season, you'd get your, I don't know, your, your hat or whatever for 20 quid and your goodie bag. And I think it was a pound a game with a paying I looked for a t- time. Then it was still only a fiver a game a couple of years later. And you got your poster that you'd run on at the end of the the match onto the pitch and with your buyer and get all the players to sign. And I've still got those somewhere in a draw from, I don't know, must have been around the turn of the millennium when you'd run on the pitch and you get signatures from these people that you're in awe of. And like, I, I know it was stopped. I don't know who stopped it, whether it was the league or the club, but you've got an artificial surface now. So it's not like the kids are going to be running on and throwing blades and syringes onto the pitch. Um, I don't really see the issue with just letting that sort of, thing go on again might be the league don't like it but to me it was one of those harmless things It's was just a lovely part of the club and I enjoyed it growing up but get the next generation involved yeah that's really good actually
1: uh, tugging on my heartstrings and memories there in terms of the flock yeah but, the, but it's a really good point um, why not have something like the flock again because of course that gets people interested in more club I mean, you know I remember you used to get your, as you say your goodie bag I remember I've probably still got mine somewhere I remember it exactly it's like black goodie bag with the yellow cores sort or of a picture of Flash jumping about whatever it is on the back um, yeah I think you got like a, a little hat and a few other things and he got an autograph book I think as well so leading on for what you're saying, running on the pitch and trying to for me it was running on to try and bother Mario Sertra I think and, and your Twigga But but um, yeah think things like that I I mean, I can't imagine that would be too f- much of a financial burden for the club just to arrange something like that, just to generate interest, like work with the amateur club for mini rugby. You know, say oh, as part of your if you as part of being a member, as a mini member of the club, you also get access for £5 a year or whatever to flash, the you know, to the flock, and this gives, as adult access to a cheaper ticket, and you get a goodie bag, and that little things like that will get people interested. Um, yeah, so, I mean, again, why did that stop, I suppose? I mean, is it financial constraint? I mean, who knows? I mean, obviously, we're looking for the outside in and with sort of a lot of nostalgia, but, yeah, things like that. Um, I can't see why they can't reduce little little things like that just to get just to get more, as I say, bums on seats or little little feet on the terraces, just to bring up the crown numbers, just to bring a bit more excitement and sort of youthful optimism or new optimism into the club because it really really needs it.
0: Yeah, if we if we move away from looking back with rose tinted spectacles, maybe or whinging about last week's or yesterday's game. Coming up, we've got Bristol next week, and um, we had a few words with. Pete from the Bears Beyond the Gate podcast, who's our Bristol Bristol rivals, you could say. or oh, they're actually quite good guys, so Bristol friends. Um, so we'll let you listen to that. So we're joined by Pete from Bears Beyond the Gate, who we've spoken to on many occasions before. Thank you, Pete. It's a nice, lovely Sunday morning, a bit like, nicer than yesterday. Um, I guess the first question I have is, at the minute, somehow we're still ahead of Bristol in the table. No one's going to argue it's been quite a, a poor year for Bristol by your recent standards. Is the removal of relegation a contributing factor to that? I, have they taken the squad to bits to rebuild it in a risk-free year, in the hope that in two or three years' time it will be back firing at the top of the league?
2: Um, good question. Oh, and anyway, hello, boys. Nice to nice to talk to you again. Um, well, <laughs> I think our poor start to the season was a combination of factors, uh, and, and this has been discussed quite a lot on our podcast and, and amongst our fans. I, I think the hangover from get from the semi-final. Uh, wasn't good. I don't think we started the season very well. We didn't really have a pre-season of, of of note, uh, which was a decision by Pat Lamb. It wasn't down to anything else. Um, we lost a few what we might consider our bigger players early on, and we just didn't get off to a good start. And I think we 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 our confidence um dropped. Uh, I and I and I do also think there is that element of, you know, we we are we were the sort of a club that was working to that sort of salary cap plus two marquee players. And clearly that is not going to be the same next year. So we, we probably behind the scenes, there's been a lot of toing and froing about who's staying, who's going and, and so on. Um, so yeah, a, a combination. And I, and I think maybe one of the biggest things was that teams just worked us out. Uh, you know, we'd been at the top of the pile all of last season had set the standards in many ways um, probably had been quite lucky and, and had been on the positive end of some close results and and the tables reversed a little bit, and I think teams just realise that if you rush Bristol and and delight deny them space, um, then then it's challenging us to to have a plan B. And I don't think we did have much of a one uh, beginning in the season. So yeah, a combination of factors. But but actually, at the moment, relatively positive. We we we, we had two good wins in Europe. Um, we had a great. We lost to Leicester on Boxing Day, but it was a yeah. Realistically, we we should have won that. Um, and then um, we beat Sale quite easily after, uh, in January, uh, a team that we've struggled against. <laughs> so I, it's not, your, fat, your, your listeners won't be that pleased to, to, to hear that, that, that there's quite a lot of positivity around the club and, um, and, uh, and around the fans. And, you know, we've had a nice relaxing weekend off this weekend. And I think everyone's firing up for uh, our first Saturday afternoon game for a long time, actually.
1: So, I mean, I guess leading on from that, I mean, for our listeners, can you kind of put the finger on or why it's becoming a bit more positive for you, um, particularly on the field? As you say, you've strung a few good results, especially in Europe, together recently. Um, what sort of reasons do you feel it's starting to come together a bit more now? And Perhaps Bristol are playing more the way we expect Bristol to and results are going the way that, again, we perhaps expect them to be going.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big watershed games was our loss to Saints at Ashton Gate where our our pack got beaten up and our front row pretty much disintegrated and uh and they gave us a pretty good hiding and i think we had i i, I wonder whether we had kind of forgotten about the basics and i think from that game on the the, the forwards have been a lot better our defence has been pretty solid we we've been you know we've been competing and i think like anything despite despite all the talk of systems and this that and the other if you don't have a solid platform and you don't have people making every tackle all the time and, and dominant tackles then it's hard to to launch sustainable attacks uh, I also think at the same time we, we have gone back to the drawing board a little bit on our back play it was uh it was getting predictable there was too many kind of, too much kind of faffing around going around the back door and then the wing is the opposition wing is just waiting there to smash smash them so you know we, we have actually introduced i'd say more of a kicking game uh than we had last season but more recently um particularly against um, Stade Francais and, and, and Scarlets in Europe, where we had some of our bigger players back. Samir Andranda has been back for a while. Siva Nulango came back for a cameo against Scarlets. We've started to look pretty cutting edge up front, although there is a caveat to that, to say that those two teams didn't really play against us like Premiership teams do. There, there was it was a bit more space in the park. And it was a better game of rugby for the purist. I mean, it were, they're both games were fun because both teams were trying to play. So I think we I think the reality is, is that we are now more solid up front and in defense than we were early in the season, and we're starting to be a little bit more creative at the back.
0: Then I'd also say obviously Six Nations are just around the corner. Um players which you are missing, are there going to be great voids in the positions that they normally playing or have you got experienced players that can step up to first team level straight away that'll seamlessly fill those gaps?
2: Well, for England, we've got Sinclair and Randall, uh, which, uh, gone now. Sinclair, unless, you know, will be gone for the whole time. Um, that is a slight problem because we are a little bit light on tight heads. And the other main tight air we have is John Afoa, who's about 55. Um, and, and we then have, uh, you know, some, a couple of tight heads underneath that, don't necessarily provide too much um, optimism. Um, so that's one. And then obviously Harry Randall uh, as Scrum off. I mean, my, you know, what all we're hoping is that he doesn't get injured playing for England because that's happened twice already. Uh, I mean, he's, he was annoyingly, he was just hitting absolute top form again, just as the, the Six Nations came along. But, you know, we've got Andy Oren who, who, who deputised last season for him really well. And we've got a young lad called Tom Whiteley, who we got from Saracens, who is a kind of Randall-esque type scrum half, snipey, fast. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we just have to deal with that. That's that's what everyone has to do. Um, the other person we're going to lose is Sheedy is in the Wales squad. Although I don't know how. I mean, he's clearly probably the last on the list of the fly half. So, but Sheedy not playing even though he's had an average season, to be fair to him, the problem we got is we haven't really got anyone else. I mean, we're waiting for AJ McGinty from next year to come. Um, the other option we've got is, is either Yoan Lloyd, who is a, obviously a superstar, but quite young, and, and has been used as a utility back. So, he's, you know, he, he I think he played fly half actually, against you up at Kingston Park, if I remember. Oh, no, no, he didn't. Sheedy did. I actually, I can't remember. No, Sheedy came on. But trouble with Lloyd, he is great, but... Kicking-wise, he's inconsistent and uh, Sheedy's much better. And then we've got a guy called Sam Bedlow who has filled in there who's actually a decent player. So, I, I, you know, we I, we can't complain because we've got a big squad and Pat always talks about it's, you know, we, it's not about a first team, it's about a squad and everybody knows the job and it's a system and everyone comes in. But, uh, yeah, I, I I mean, Sinclair might be a, be, a, be a bit of a miss, I think, more than anything.
1: So, I mean, uh, Al, this is a probably... Sitting here, very long faces after the past couple of weekends. Um, are you able, begrudgingly, to provide any sort of crumb of comfort in terms of any weaknesses with Bristol at the moment? I mean, obviously they are having a bit of an. Up- you are having a bit of an upturn in form, but perhaps not firing firing on all cylinders yet. Mm. Is there any way that we can maybe get at you? I,
2: I, I just based on on. I mean, I went to the Scarlets game, which is the last game we had, and and I and I went to Leicester on Boxing Day and watched Sale and stuff. <laughs> It, and I went to the Stad game and I just you know I, I feel we're playing like we did last season to a lot and it is quite hard if we carry on with that that level I, I think it is going to be very hard I think for you to, to 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 stay with us I mean the only thing or the one thing that teams have usually done against us to get an advantage is to try and smash us up is to deny space is to try and get us on the back foot and we do have a we do have a tendency to be sloppy um to 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 be uh you know to, to to butcher quite a lot of chances our red zone efficiency hasn't been that good um so i i suspect knowing <laughs> dean richards i would imagine that would be part of his game plan would be just to try and get amongst us and and probably like you said try and keep it up yeah you know, keep it up the jersey kick for territory kicked strategically and then you know you've always have got that danger of, of your likes of Radwan and stuff out on the wing and if you can get it out to him um you know that's uh that that could who knows that that could cause problems I mean we we have shown that we are a bit flaky under pressure this season and uh teams get a get a momentum against us it, it can happen but yeah I I, I know I, I mean I'll probably come back to to, to haunt me this but I would be to be honest based on what you're doing at the moment and what I've observed the way you're playing and based on the way we're playing I'd be very very disappointed if we didn't win next Saturday and win relatively handsomely uh, and I feel a bit guilty by saying that because it sounds a bit arrogant but I just feel that we need we we have kind of restarted our season and we will be targeting you as a as a real as a game to get a bonus point win so we can push on because we've got some no offense to the but we've got what we might consider some winnable games coming up and if we get three bonus point wins in a row suddenly the doom and gloom about our season is 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 going and you know we start looking well top six let's get back to that expectation and who knows after that but
1: it could all go wrong (laughs) next saturday so who knows let's hope so Well, I mean, the irony for us is we're looking at your fixture as a, potentially a chance to get a point or two because coming up we've got uh, Exeter, Harlequins, oh, and Saracen. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I yeah, mean, I, so, I mean,
2: uh, I do wonder whether sometimes though it's just that we should all go back to the cliche and let's just take every game as it comes and, and take it from there. I think this is one of those ones where I'll just say let's let's wait and see. <laughs>
0: With the podcast having been recorded on Sunday morning, this was before Adam Radwan's late call up to the England squad—a well-deserved achievement. Um, there were a couple of names missing from the matchday squad. They were Blamire and Fuso who've had their call ups for England and Italy, respectively. I think both of them could be considered a loss, but fortunately, they're positions where we have got cover.
1: Yeah, well, exactly that, isn't it? Um, you know, both you would expect either to be starting or on the bench um, and to have certainly have impacts in games anyway, perhaps much needed impacts, especially in the line out. Um, and, you know, obviously how strong dynamic Blamire is ball in hand which again we'll be trying out for but you know they, they've obviously deserved their that, that call-up certainly I mean Blamire well more England form than club form hasn't it but he's been superb for England and he absolutely justifies his call-up there um, I struggle to think of many other better actually hookers who play for England um, who are better than him currently um, and Fusa has been really good for us. Again, I think he's absolutely warranted his Italy call-up. Um, he's been, I, he's been sort of around the fringes, banging on the door, playing occasionally for them past couple of years, but it's nice to see his actual good form rewarded. And yeah, there will be losses. But as you say, thankfully in the forwards particularly, we do have good coverage. Though I think we are still going to miss them, I think. you know, uh, And
0: I just hope that those who can replace them
1: kind of step up.
0: Yes, we're losing a couple of players, but in a strange way, the teams were playing the next few weeks. You look on paper and you think, oh, crumbs, they're decent sides. But the, the flip side of that is these decent sides lose more players in the international breaks. So if we just look ahead at the February, the fixtures and then the teams are playing, do you think it's gonna work out slightly beneficial to play these teams now?
1: I mean, I guess on paper maybe, yeah, but how many years do we say this? You know, we're always trying to take a crumb of comfort by saying, Oh, well there's hardly any focus players in the international team but look at all these other clubs who've lost all their players, you know, sure you know, obviously this is gonna be a leg up for us and very rarely is it? again as I just said like you say every season it may be an advantage for us I mean it's not going to harm us certainly but will it be enough the way we're playing, possibly not. I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, on that point, I suppose watching Bath Harlequins, I think Harlequins really did miss some of their big name internationals. Um, I know when they have lost internationals, actually Harlequins have still been pretty decent, but you could tell that they weren't quite there against Bath. Um, maybe we'll see more repeats of that. Hopefully Bristol have that as well against us, but I just don't think, it's more the kind of the way we're playing rather than personnel. I just think the way we're playing means that it's still going to be too much of an ask, I think, especially with those really, really tough games
0: coming in. We're not going to do a deep dive into the Six Nations and the various squads this week just because we've we'll ch- chatted quite a lot and it's going to seem as a long afternoon and we'll discuss that more bit next week. So we'll move on to results. Bearing in mind this is Sunday lunchtime-ish we're recording this so the afternoon fixtures this afternoon haven't taken place of Sale versus Leicester or Wasps versus Saracens. But on Friday night Bath eventually Well, they're putting together a few performances now, which means it's getting a bit concerning at the bottom because they beat Harlequins 21 points to 17. Um, On Saturday, London Irish beat Exeter 18 points to 14 and Worcester lost to Northampton 13 points to 29. Um, Obviously, we lost to Gloucester in our delayed kickoff, 22 points to 32. And one thing about a delayed kickoff is it means you end up doing an awful lot more during the day. Um, Unfortunately, I was dragged around shops on Saturday afternoon as opposed to watching the rugby, but I got to watch it in the evening instead of watching some rubbish and street come dancing or whatever's on at the minute. So I guess there's a silver lining there. Then in the the local leagues, um, not a good one for the northeast output in the uh, various national or regional leagues. Um, Darlington lost... 40 points to seven at home against Coldy. Bladen got beaten by Wharfdale and Towndale got beaten heavily by Hull. In the North Premier, Billingham lost to Preston Grasshoppers with a nil on the score sheet and Annick in a very low scoring affair, lost to Rosendale. In one North East, Concert was the only victory for the North East with a 23 points to 38 38 points to 23, win away at Bradford and Bingley. Durham's match against Morley was postponed and Morpeth lost to Heath in the Durham Northumberland Leagues. Uh, scores all over the place, as per usual. Um, a couple of peas, or I don't know whether they're COVID or weather-related, but an awful lot of games did manage to go on, despite the horizontal wind. Oh, When's wind, wind ever? Not horizontal. I think score of the week probably has to go to Gates, had to beat Winlaton Leighton, 87 points to 14, although Gosforth... Another high-scoring game, beating Jerovian 76 points to 22. Premiership table as it stands. Leicester still out in the, the lead with 51 points, followed by Saracens, Harlequins and Gloucester, all with 43. Northampton have 40. London Irish have 35. Exeter have 34. Wasps have 28. We and Sale both have 24, though we've played a game more. Bristol and Worcester both have 21, although Bristol have only played 12 games, whereas... Everyone else has played, teams around them have played 13, and then Bath are on the bottom on 14. Okay, so that draws to a close. Another episode where we've not been over the moon about things, but as we say, hopefully it'll get better. Oh, I hope so. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.